broken Biden. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You're not surprised. We talked about this all during the campaign. He lacks the integrity. He lacks competence. He's not supposed to be president. We can all see that. And it's, well, it's kind of sad. I can accept that because, quite frankly, I'm used to it. I knew it about this guy. And actually, in a weird way, I can accept that Afghanistan is now in the hands of these guys. I don't like it at all. It didn't have to happen this quickly, but it's Afghanistan. It's far away, and as long as they don't dare mess with us here, I can live with this. We have to. But something I can't tolerate, another loss for our American military. Now, we have the best military in the world, but it's led by incompetent generals and civilian staff. This is not the responsibility of the men and women, the troops. It's those who lead them. And this is a long time coming. You know, the Pentagon, my goodness gracious, it's time for a top to bottom overhaul. Start from scratch. The culture has been corrupted, possibly because the Pentagon is so close to the swamp. It's in the swamp right there, so close to those guys, those bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. They have screwed up the military. Now, we showed you yesterday how all the happy talk and uh, misinformation about Afghanistan helped put us in this fix. I think uh, that the development of the Afghan army is on a very good path right now. We, we've made tremendous strides incredible progress in the last 20 months. The solid partnership has been the thing that has been really striking for me all around the country. It's fair to ask if we're winning in Afghanistan. I believe the answer is yes, and several facts allow me to say that with confidence. And we've seen some great, great uh, progress in some of the operations based even at the tactical level on the intelligence uh, structure. They showed me the positive changes they have helped bring about, the villages they can now enter, the, the Afghan police and forces they are training and trying to improve. All this sugarcoating, all this bureaucratic talk, all this spin, we got to stop it. It's got to, something has to be done culturally inside the Pentagon because they did the same thing in Iraq. Another war, we blew it at the very end, but it was a long time coming. We were saying the same misleading stuff about Iraq. The generals were. Take a look at this, all the way back in 2003. Uh, the situation in Fallujah over the last two or three weeks, as we all know, has been uh, a very cooperative and uh, peaceful uh, uh, situation down there where the mayor and the police chief, in fact, have been very supportive of uh, the efforts that we have been embarked on. Uh, it is clearly a, uh, a right in a democracy for those policemen to demonstrate as they have and, uh, you know, to state their views. The police and military in Fallujah were protesting American forces, and he says somehow that's a good thing. Fallujah, I was there, was a powder keg, and yes, it did explode. Remember those contractors that they hung from that bridge? So much silly happy talk, so much misinformation from the generals. While it's been a difficult few days, uh, I can tell you that Iraqis have again risen to the occasion. Let me give you a couple of, of, of data points here. First of all, the Iraqi security forces performed well across the country, generally well.
uh, generally well. That's known. Uh, that's that's giving him a lot of wiggle room. Okay, generally well. This is prime bureaucratic speak. Next, oh, remember this guy. We're also focused on developing a capable and professional Iraqi security force, and helping to build civil capacity. And we're making progress in each of these areas every day. And while these efforts are progressing at a different pace, they're all moving forward in a positive and tangible manner. He was so bad they promoted him twice to four-star general and now Secretary of Defense. How about this guy? The Iraqi security forces demonstrated uh, on Sunday that they're up to the task. If it were, if it were a, a test, they passed with flying colors. And I'm pretty confident that they can continue to secure um, the, the government of Iraq and, and the Iraqi people. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that they can do that exceptionally well. <laughs> pretty confident, pretty confident. They all remind me of Baghdad Bob. Remember him, the Minister of Information during the, uh, the invasion? Oh, we're winning, Saddam Hussein, right? He got it all wrong. They remind me so much of Baghdad Bob because the first real test for the Iraqi military in July of 2014, 30,000 Iraqi troops gave up pretty much right away to less than 1,000 ISIS fighters. ISIS rolling right over the Iraqi military in Mosul. Uh, they just <laughs> walked right in. See, here's what the military would never say about our allies in Iraq and Afghanistan. As Fred Kaplan once reported, uh, these militaries need American backing, a network of close air support, intelligence, logistics, repair, maintenance crews, rapid mobility by helicopter. You need that stuff for a real military, and they just don't have it. And that's why this all happened. Um, I'm not blaming the troops, by the way. The troops, I'm talking about the privates, to the sergeants, to the lieutenants, captains, majors, even the lieutenant colonels and colonels. I'm talking about the generals. Yeah, the generals. At that high level, they failed. Most of them, there are some thoughtful ones in the mix, some who will actually risk their career for their country. You know, lots of soldiers and Marines, sailors, will risk their lives, almost all of them but they won't risk their careers. It's kind of an interesting um, conundrum, if you will. And this goes all the way back to Vietnam, where bad news from the battlefield was often manipulated, crafted to look like good news by the time it got to the Pentagon. It's very rare for a general to go against the grain, very rare. One who did, who I like a lot, his name was General Edward Meyer. Shymeyer was his nickname. He was the chief of staff of the Army from 1979 to 1983. And one year in 1980, he shocked all of Washington, D.C. when he came right out and said, the Army that I'm in charge of is a hollow one. I mean, this was straight talk, and some of them weren't able to handle it. At one point, he threatened to turn in his four stars if he did not get what he needed to equip his army well. He was something else. What do we have now? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States 
antebellum laws prior to the Civil War that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. The military are supposed to avoid domestic politics. He's auditioning to be a guest on Rachel Maddow's show. He did not have to say any of that stuff. And that, by the way, is in June. What's happening in June? The withdrawal from Afghanistan. He should have been planning the non-combatant evacuation operation that we're seeing right now. Such a colossal failure. <laughs> you know who saw through this guy and the others? Trump. Trump. He saw right through their act. In fact, when he showed up uh, on the USS Gerald Ford, very interesting what he saw. And uh, I'm going to have him tell you the story in a moment. But first... Steam catapults in the Navy, aircraft carriers, for decades they launched via steam. A catapult would throw the aircraft down the deck and uh, it took steam to actually move the airplane off the ship. Well, somebody had the bright idea to change that to electromagnetic technology. Electromagnetic, okay, give it a shot. Thing is, uh, it's not working too well at all. And Trump was very familiar with this and he wanted to get to the bottom of it. And guess what? The brass, they don't like that. We built a, an aircraft carrier, and the aircraft carrier has all sorts of problems. It's the Gerald Ford. They throw the plane off, and they decide to do it through electric instead of steam, right? Catapult, it's called. So they have a catapult, and for 60 years, it's been steam-operated. They decide to do it. Let's make it out of electric. I went to visit the ship, and I wasn't interested in seeing the admiral. The admiral said, sir, admiral so-and-so, the thing's out to sea trials, it's not working. And I said, uh, admiral, honestly, I think you're a wonderful man, very good-looking guy, actually. You like central casting, but I want to see the catapulters. <laughs> so I meet these five guys, real great guys. They're catapulters. How long have you been doing it, Jim? Sir, 21 years. I said, let me ask you, you have a problem with it? Absolutely, sir, it doesn't work. Why? He said, because you, if it breaks, you have to go through graduate school at MIT to fix it. And with the steam, we had the same power or more, and we could fix it with a blowtorch and a hammer. <laughs> I love that story. He's absolutely right. You know who hates that story? Hates that story? These guys, the generals. <laughs> I feel bad for that sailor who told the commander-in-chief the truth. Sometimes that's the last thing these guys want known. I'll be right back. The land of the free honors the bravest of the brave for their sacred pledge to protect our freedom our Constitution, and our way of life. We will always remember you. We will always salute you. All I, All I can say is, is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Um, Joe Biden. When it comes to matters of race, he is only 
not only is he not woke, uh, he's ignorant and uh, pretty racist, actually. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Uh, I'm not exactly politically correct, but that's bad, real bad. Joe had a problem when he was running for president. Uh, this stuff and also most of the people around him, his trusted advisors, were white people. And in Democrat politics, that's a bad thing. So he had to fix that fast. So he found a 32-year-old Simone Sanders, happens to be black, happens to be young, and she fit the bill. Joe Biden said, we got to hire her right away for optics, for optics. This has been widely reported. But Simone wasn't sold on Joe. Joe, a two-term vice president of the United States, ex had to give her a tour of his house, his big house, and had to woo her. This um, mid-level 32-year-old staffer with one or two campaigns under her belt. She wasn't too sure about Joe Biden. Ultimately, she took the job, and now she works in the White House. Uh, Let's meet her. Hey, guys, what's up? Uh, We have a meeting with some tribal leaders in the vice president's ceremonial office, and I need some more lemonade. All right, and what do you do here at the White House? I have the pleasure of serving as a senior advisor and chief spokesperson for Vice President Kamala Harris. All right, good for her. Good for her. And there are parts of her attitude I really like. Her political philosophy, though, and uh, what she thinks about things, that's another story. Take a look. Growing up, I used to watch the news all the time. As a teenager, I know, very weird. And uh, I used to think when sitting there watching the news, why are they saying it like this? Strange thing to think, and I often thought it around politics. And then I realized later on that politics isn't anything but a bunch of people who get in a room and decide what the messages are, and then they tell a bunch of other people how to communicate those messages through events, through press, through all kinds of things. That actually sums up the Biden's administration view of politics, just figuring out what to say. That's how we got Afghanistan, not actually governing, not building coalitions, not building and writing effective legislation that could appeal to politics is just figuring out what to say. Interesting, isn't it? That may be a superficial uh, light form of politics. That's no way to govern. What else? I realize the people in that room they look like me, okay? Not a lot of them, at least. They weren't young. They weren't bald black girls from Nebraska. They weren't from the Midwest. So that's what got me interested in politics. And now we're in the White House. All right, here we go. How you look. Nobody looks like me, that kind of thing. Now, remember she said a moment ago when she was watching the news, she said that was pretty weird to watch the news. And I know what she's talking about. At one point, kids watching the news, that's kind of unusual. A lot of kids don't watch the news. I liked the news when I was a kid. She liked the news. That's great. But Now she takes it to the level she was excluded or people like her were excluded because maybe being bald, being black, being young, being from Nebraska. Did you hear that? Nobody was from Nebraska. She's wrong. Politics is open to anybody. It's self-selection. And by the way, Ted Sorensen was from Nebraska. You know who Ted Sorensen is? He was John F. Kennedy's chief aide in the Senate and later in the presidency. See, I just don't care what people look like, and too often I'm told that that's all that matters, and I think that's a terrible message for the country. All right, so Simone and Joe, good luck to you. In the meantime, I want to talk about uh, Tony Blinken. Now, who is Tony Blinken? Think for a moment. Tony Blinken. 
Well, he's the Secretary of State. Secretary, the name Tony Blinken, Secretary of State, I don't know. No, he's no Henry Kissinger. He's no George Schultz. He's no Warren Christopher. He's, he's Tony Blinken, and he's not been impressing anybody. But you know who had his number a long time ago? The late, great John McCain. Yeah, I like John McCain. Um, look at what he said about Tony Blinken in 2014. Tony was up for a Senate-confirmed position, uh, Deputy Secretary of State, and um, John McCain thought that was a bad idea. This individual has actually been dangerous to America and to the young men and women who are fighting and serving it. I'll move on to Afghanistan. Mr. Uh, <clears throat> Blinken said, quote, we've been very clear, we've been consistent. The war will be concluded by the end of 2014. We have a timetable, and that timetable will not change. This is why I'm so worried about him being in the position that he's in. Wow, he totally nailed it. Uh, look at what's happened. If only we remembered and listened. Did anybody raise objections about Tony Blinken on his way in? I don't know. All right, now this. Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No, lives matter. Black lives matter, including the life of 54-year-old Lamose Dort, shot and killed Thursday in Brooklyn. Mother of four had recently moved to New York from Haiti to escape poverty and violence in her home country. She was working as a home health aide. On her way home from work Thursday night, someone sprayed the sidewalk with bullets, and she was hit twice in the chest. She was very courageous, resilient, and she loved her children. One of her four children there. A GoFundMe page has been set up. Uh, obviously, expenses uh, mount at a time like this. No suspects, no arrests. 54-year-old Lamose Dort had just arrived in this country from Haiti to escape violence. We'll be right back. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and, believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Ashley Babbitt, the Trump supporter who was shot and killed by Capitol Police on January 6th. She was unarmed. She did not pose a deadly threat to anyone. We all saw the videotape, and it's an outrage that the officer has been officially exonerated. We all saw what he did, and we all saw that it was wrong. Not a police department in the country could justify this shooting. Let's watch it again, please. No warning, and I hear that she posed uh, an imminent deadly threat to someone. To who? To whom? Hmm? Mike Pence was eight rooms away in the basement. The deadly threat? I don't see it. So, this is interesting, though. We're going to meet the man behind the gun, the man who pulled the trigger, who will be interviewed tomorrow night by Lester Holt. Lester Holt, uh, NBC News, has already put out a statement, and the bias is uh, loud and clear. They're calling it an insurrection. They're dwelling on all the threats this individual has received. Um, 
Lester Holt has been wrong from the beginning of this in such glaring ways. Tonight, the push intensifying to impeach President Trump for inciting the deadly attack on the Capitol. And federal authorities have arrested two men in the assault of a U.S. Capitol police officer who later died. Officials say the men, one from Pennsylvania, the other from uh, West Virginia, worked together to spray Officer Brian Sicknick with a chemical during the Capitol riot. This unrest breaking out just after President Trump spoke at a rally near the White House, stoking the crowd by falsely claiming he won the election. A history-making second impeachment could be in the cards for President Trump as soon as next week. House Democrats tonight determined to hold him accountable for fanning the deadly violence at the Capitol on Wednesday. You hear the language? He's not neutral. He's already made up his mind. Now, this is an opinion show, okay? I take facts, I look at them, I connect the dots, and I have an opinion about him. He's supposed to be objective. NBC News, we just play it straight. They don't, obviously. And that's, that's what's so sinister about them. So he's the guy who's going to interview the shooter uh, from January 6th. And I'm not sure but there might be a big racial component to all of this. We'll find out more tomorrow night. Um, I did mention that the officer whose identity we don't know has received threats. That's unfortunate. I don't want anything illegal to happen to this officer, but in police-involved shootings, especially controversial ones, the name is usually released. Kim Potter was the officer who shot Dante Wright. Remember that? It was an accidental shooting, she says. It looks that way. This is her house, okay? Nobody debated whether or not we were going to learn her name. We did like that. We'll see what happens tomorrow night. All right, also this regarding January 6th. Uh, another investigation, and they're demanding records. Select committee issues, sweeping demand for executive branch records. And let's go inside, please. January 6th records include... Our Constitution provides for a peaceful transfer of power, and this investigation seeks to evaluate threats to that process, identify lessons learned, and recommend laws, policies, procedures, rules, or regulations necessary to protect our republic in the future. I'm really surprised, actually, they're still pushing this after we all saw a real insurrection in Afghanistan. It really puts January 6th in perspective. Uh, these are some of the names there. They want the records from everybody, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, all the way down to Mike Lindell. All right, good luck with that. I think the American people, um, we get it. We get it. Oh, this is interesting. How about a committee hearing into this? The Secret Service warned Capitol Police about violent threats one day before January 6th. Yes, Politico has uncovered documents. Let's take a look. Document number one says, per our Denver field office, this is a Secret Service communication, a concerned citizen reported that blank were flying into BWI, Baltimore Airport, today to attend tomorrow's rally and incite violence. In addition, the source reports that blank, redacted, previously made threats against President-elect Biden. Hmm. The source also reported that redacted, blank, was driving to D.C. with gear and weapons to include ballistic helmets, armored gloves and vests, rifles and suppressors. Well, if I were running the Capitol Police and I got a report like this, I might set up a perimeter fence, some security. Can somebody tell me, did they ever figure out who this little cop is who encouraged everybody to come right on in? Those are the questions I want answered. We'll be right back.
Eric Bowling is back, and he's fighting big media, woke politics, and cancel culture. Every afternoon, Eric's new The Balance tells the truth and exposes the big lies. Watch Eric Bowling every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Is arthritis or joint pain holding you back? JoinFlex is clinically proven to penetrate right to the source of pain for fast-acting and long-lasting relief. X out your joint pain with JoinFlex. Now try nighttime pain relief with Massager. All right, you're looking at Enrique Tario on the left there. He is the leader of the Proud Boys, the Proud Boys, the infamous Proud Boys. But hold on, you probably have heard, like I did for a long time, a lot of bad information and wrong information about these guys. They're not white supremacists. How can they be? <laughs> Enrique Tario, I believe, is Afro-Cuban. Anyway, he's going to jail. Um, he's in some trouble for burning a BLM flag. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, Enrique Tarrio, uh, welcome to Newsmax. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you for having me on. You're actually really brave for having me on. Um, but again, I thank you for that. Well, no problem. But do me a favor. I'm a little bit nervous <laughs> because, you know, when people say Proud Boys, look, I hate white supremacy. I know you do as well. White supremacy is stupid and bad and wrong. Do you agree with me? And I hate to give you a litmus test like this, but you know where we are and you know what's happening in the society. So take it away. Uh, definitely. Um, I think um, any form of the isms, racism, anti-Semitism, all those isms that uh, pretty much are prejudiced against people because of their either their skin tone, their religious beliefs, their cultural background, to us, uh, you're not welcome in the Proud Boys. To us, it's not about that. It's about ideology. We don't, we don't, in your application to be a Proud Boy, we don't ask you, you know, what your skin tone is. There's not like a little chart. There's not, uh, we don't ask you what your religion are. We, we ask you what your beliefs are as a man. So, look, as you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of conflicting reports about who you guys are and what you stand for. So, you're Enrique Tarrio. You're officially the leader of the Proud Boys. So tell everybody, who are you guys and what are you all about? In its most simplest form, we are a drinking club with a patriot problem. Um, to get it more in depth, I mean, we, we're not a very focused organization like Second Amendment groups or groups that uh, promote religious freedoms. We kind of have a broad spectrum of views and, you know, we don't have to agree as Proud Boys. We don't have to agree with exactly that, but it's based on our constitutional values, right? As long as we don't uh, give way to any of those constitutional values, you're born a man, which is crazy that I have to say that in 2020. Uh, you're free to join the Proud Boys. And what do you guys do when you, when you get together? I mean, what, what, where do you go from there? What, okay, so then what? So we start, we start at home. Um, we start at the bar, actually. Uh, we get out of the house once a month. Uh, we're not people that are elites. But you'll never see an impoverished proud boy. We're just working class Americans. 99% uh, of what we do is just go out and drink with the boys. That's where it starts. Uh, the 1% is usually what you see on left-wing media sites where they say that we're like some violent crew and we're not. Uh, we have provided security for many events, uh, patriotic events. 
So, for instance, like I, Ann Coulter, Ann Coulter gets hassled sometimes when she shows up at campuses uh, to speak. I've seen a pie thrown in her face. She's really been harassed. I understand you guys have provided at security at events like that. Yes, we've provided security at events like that. It started uh, actually our security, I guess, the 1% of things that we do started in Berkeley back in 2017. Um, and our guys are very active. Um, in, in, in many accounts, we run for office. Uh, we knock on doors for candidates. And obviously, like, I, like we were just talking about, the most infamous is the security role that we provide. So and it's always in defense. Okay, at events. So, uh, you know, for a drinking club, <laughs> you guys have gotten a lot of attention. I want to go back to the presidential debate last fall where everybody was talking about you guys. Take a look. I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call him? What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and would right you like me to condemn? White Proud supremacists boys. and right supremacists. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This is, this is a left wing. This is a left wing problem. That was quite a moment. Um, what did you? Th what do you think President Trump meant when he said "stand back and stand by"? Well, that night was a night that changed my life and the life of the Proud Boys forever. Um, to us, we didn't take it as like a rally call or anything. To us, it meant, you know, stand by me, stand by the president of the United States, uh, stand by Trump, which, which we have and I have. Uh, since day one, since he came down the escalator, we knew, I knew we needed, America needed change, and we've stood by the president. Um, a lot of the left likes to say, oh, well, that's a, that's a call to, to kind of stand by in like some type of militaristic fashion. A lot of people think that we're some type of militia. We don't. Um, we don't. We don't train in that fashion. We don't train actually at all. We just hang out with the boys and we love our country. And I think that that's why we've become such a threat. Can I uh, um, working can I, getting together and fighting back? My interpretation on that moment, if you don't mind, uh, you know, they say condemn white supremacy. And he's like, name a group. And then your group was thrown out as a name. And I think Trump actually was momentarily confused. Like, wait a second, they're not white supremacists. So that's why stand back, stand by was more benign than saying condemning you. You know what I mean? Because I do believe that he may have picked up somehow because he picks up a lot of information that you guys are not what we've been told. Uh, that part of the debate was actually a very confusing part um, in the debate because there was so much back and forth with uh, Chris Wallace and he asked specifically for the question of white supremacists and, uh, and militias. Yeah. And we're not... So I think that that's where he got caught by surprise. And he's like, wait a second. Uh, no, that's, I'm not answering this. And he just answered to the best of his ability. Got to get back to your personal legal situation. Let's see here. Back in, uh, was it December? You were caught burning a flag, a BLM flag uh, in Washington, D.C. This is the moment right here. It looks like a BLM banner of some kind. My understanding is, let's see, you've been charged with destruction of property and one count of attempted possession of a large capacity ammunition feeding device. Uh, you have pleaded guilty. You are you were sentenced Monday, five months in jail, beginning September 6th. That's the situation. That is correct. Um, I don't condone the destruction of property that belongs to somebody else. But uh, there is different rules for different groups, right? Like Trump supporters 
get the max because I got the max sentence uh, basically in my case uh, where we've seen BLM and Antifa groups burn cities to the ground over the summer of 2020 and for the past five years yeah. and not get persecuted. Yeah. I was a man about it. I said, hey, look, I'm guilty, right? Uh, but I wasn't persecuted because of the destruction of property because it was somebody else. I got I got persecuted, uh, prosecuted because of the message that was on the banner. So uh, that's a violation of my First Amendment rights. And also it's a huge violation of my Second Amendment rights for the magazines that went into D.C. that are legal across the country. And they are standard capacity magazines, standard capacity standard. magazines. So. Um, all right. Oh. I do want to ask a bit about you personally, uh, Enrique Tarrio. I started off by saying it's reported that you're Afro-Cuban. Can you tell us about where you came from, where your parents came from, if you don't mind? Because a lot of people are like, huh, Proud Boys. I thought they were white. How's this guy associated? You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's interesting. Anyway, can you tell us about yourself, please? Well, my grandfather fled the communist uh, country known as Cuba back in 1961. Because uh, at the direct order of Che Guevara, two of my family members were put on their knees, got their hands tied behind their backs, and uh, they were executed uh, by the Castro regime. And uh, they decided to come to this country. My grandfather was the first to come with my dad being very, very young. And uh, I've been instilled with these conservative principles and loving this country and the constitution of this country. That's why it's a shame that what, uh, what happened uh, to many of my the Proud Boys that are sitting and rotting in jail right now, including somebody that you just interviewed, Christopher Worrell, that uh, has cancer and they're refusing his medication. Uh, what they did to me, as far as my five months, I'm doing short time. I'm not even worried about that. But I'm worried about the precedent that's set with me with five months and the rest of the Proud Boys, what they're going to do to them. Uh, in these cases, that is injustice. What ha what's happening is injustice in this, this country. It's selective uh, prosecution. Well, uh, listen, good luck in prison. It's going to be tough in there for you. And, um, you know, I'm a guy. You're a tough guy. Yes, indeed. September 6th, you go away. Where is the jail? I will be in D.C. jail for those five months. All right. Does the Proud Boys leader position pay? Do people have to pay dues? Do you get a salary? Are you somehow compensated? Uh, absolutely not. And I think in my regular day job, I've taken quite a pay cut to do this, but I've never been happier in my life to continue to do so. It's been an honor to represent these guys. These are the best men I have met ever in my life. And uh, what is that day job, by the way? Um, I used to be a security contractor for 12 years, and now I am a glorified garment salesman, which basically means I sell T-shirts. Okay. Well, um, it's interesting to learn about your group. I know a lot has been said about it. That's false. And, uh, but thank you for your time. Enrique Tarrio, uh, leader of the Proud Boys, who will be going to jail. You know, September I thought was a long way away. It's basically next week, the week after, you're going away. Yes, sir. And... Uh, I am I'm happy to do so. Unfortunately that if this if this is what it takes to show the world the bias in our in our system, uh, then so be it. All right. Uh, good luck in there and um, all the best. Thanks, Enrique, for coming on. Thank you. You bet. All right. 
obviously, by the way, white supremacy is stupid and dumb, ridiculous, perverted, and I believe only a very small number of idiots are involved in that kind of activity, all right? I do not believe the Proud Boys are associated with white supremacy. I am convinced, especially after meeting their Afro-Cuban leader, all right? By the way, uh, that individual is in trouble financially, in trouble legally and financially. www.tariofamilyfund.com for more information and if you want to help financially. We'll be right back with tomorrow night, Lester Holt interviews the man who pulled the trigger on Ashley Babbitt. What should Lester really ask? And what will he ask? Two different things, unfortunately. We'll be right back. Clearly, this was a yeah. deadly insurrection. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Last week's insurrection was shocking and tragic. A Capitol Hill police officer named Brian Sicknick was killed by the mob with a fire extinguisher. The U.S. Capitol suffered its worst security breach since the War of 1812. We've seen an unprecedented insurrection in our Capitol and a brutal attack on our democracy on January the 6th. Officials say the men, one from Pennsylvania, the other from uh, West Virginia, worked together to spray Officer Brian Sicknick with a chemical. There is a presidential-inspired insurrection. Plain and simple, an insurrection. Officer Brian Sicknick died after he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Fatally wounding Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who was struck in the head by a fire extinguisher. It was the worst attack on the Capitol since the War of 1812. Oh boy, the fake news and their Democrat friends being wrong as wrong can be. Everything they say about this is not true. Uh, I'm not expecting any better, and I haven't seen any better in the death of Ashley Babbitt, the Trump supporter who was shot and killed on January 6th. Something interesting, though, is about to happen. The cop who shot her will be interviewed tomorrow night by Lester Holt. All we know right now is, uh, well, what his wrist looks like. There are some rumors online about uh, who he is and that kind of thing, but we will find out tomorrow night. I am joined now by Amber Athey, Washington editor at The Spectator and uh, one of the smartest conservatives in the country and a great media critic. Amber, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Greg. So, uh, first of all, hey, that's one heck of a supercut we played at the top. I mean, they have so consistently been wrong about January 6th. I feel like Afghanistan somehow takes the wind out of their sails, those who want to make a big deal out of January 6th. What do you think? Yeah, you would think so. But, of course, because Trump supporters were involved in January 6th, they have to make it out to be something that it was not. Everything they said about it was untrue. They claimed that these were people running around killing cops on that day. The only person who died was Ashley Babbitt, and we are still no closer to answers about how and why exactly she died. Uh, Lester Holt will be running the interview. We already know from the press release the perspective they're coming from. They talk about, uh, let's see, that it was an insurrection. They use that word. They talk about the threats against the officer, which there shouldn't be. But that happens often in controversial police-involved shootings. The police are often dispatched to protect police officers who are involved in these kinds of incidents, but somehow it's not supposed to happen to him. 
It cannot be overstated how unprecedented this is that his identity has been withheld from the American public for so long. When we go back to the summer of riots last year and look at some of the officer-involved shootings, it was a matter of just days before those officers' identities were revealed to the public. And what happened to them? You had members of Antifa and Black Lives Matter showing up on their doorsteps, essentially calling for their heads. And you had riots across cities people looting and burning after they learned the identities of these officers. In this case, for some reason, we are supposed to believe that this guy gets special treatment because he's being threatened, as if all of those other officers didn't undergo the same threats to their lives. It's actually unbelievable that this guy, because, of course, he shot a white Trump supporter, that's the only reason this is happening— compared to other police officers who may have been white themselves and been involved in officer shootings with minorities. That's the only difference between the two things here. And this guy's whole excuse for not revealing his identity is crumbling now that he's decided to do this Lester Holt interview. If he was so concerned about threats on his life, then he would never reveal his identity, let alone in this massive broadcast news audience with one of the most famous news anchors in the country. It makes no sense. Uh, uh, yeah, I totally agree, unless he's thinking of a book deal or something like that, which he probably is, something along those lines, because he's, he's well-known but not known at the same time. And you're right, look, look at these cops who've been involved in the shootings and their homes. I believe we have, uh, show me which one we have. This is Kim Potter's house. Now, Kim Potter shot Dante Wright she claims it was an accident, and the evidence suggests it was an accident. But her name was automatically released, and there are police outside of her house, including a cyclone fence. This is customary now. Um, Lester Holt, is he the man to do this interview? I guess we'll find out. Uh, I don't have faith in just about any mainstream media anchor. And again, I question why it's being done now and why it's being done this way. There have been two investigations thus far from which we've received very few details actually about the shooting, but we've been reassured that the officer involved didn't do anything wrong and that he's not going to be disciplined. I suppose this is the first time we'll receive more information from his perspective, but of course that's only one perspective on the shooting. And again, if he was in fear for his life, why wouldn't he be doing this behind some type of cloak of darkness with a, a voice changer? Why is he actually going on screen and revealing his identity after his lawyer has been speaking on his behalf for months and telling the public that his, uh, that his client was afraid for his life? You know, uh, and I know they have the technology to do that dateline. They're always masking people's identity right. and disguising the voice. And it's interesting. This information is not coming from the government. It's coming from NBC News. NBC News gets to inform the public. Uh, doesn't seem right at all. Amber Athey, Washington editor at The Spectator. Follow her at Amber underscore Athey on Twitter. Thank you again. Thanks, Greg. All right. We'll be right back. Ah, I love our flag. Doesn't it look great back there? Thank you for watching. Spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow night.